It's Thursday, January 14th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Donald Trump has made history, becoming the first president to be impeached twice by the House. The president was charged with incitement of insurrection, and 10 Republicans joined with Democrats in the vote to impeach. The next step is a trial in the Senate, but it looks unlikely that it will happen before Trump leaves office. Julia Manchester, political reporter at The Hill, joins us for how it all played out. Next, the Trump administration has changed its vaccine rollout plans. It is now recommending for people over 65 and those with high-risk conditions such as heart disease or diabetes to get the vaccine immediately. They also want to send out more first doses without reserving the second shot, hoping more people can start the process. Dan Bergano, science reporter at BuzzFeed News, joins us for the rollout changes and concerns from the Biden administration about the new plan. Finally, as California battles the worst of the coronavirus pandemic and a slow vaccine rollout, Governor Gavin Newsom is also facing a lot of criticism for his handling of the state. Newsom is facing growing support for an effort to recall him, which got a boost after shutting down outdoor dining and a blunder of his own, getting caught eating out at a fancy restaurant. David Siders, national political correspondent at Politico, joins us for the challenges Governor Newsom is facing. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. I sadly, and with a heart broken over what this means to our country, of a president who would incite insurrection, will sign the engrossment of the article of impeachment. Joining us now is Julia Manchester, political reporter at The Hill. Thanks for joining us, Julia. Thanks so much for having me. The House has impeached President Donald Trump for a second time. He is now the only president to be impeached twice. The article of impeachment was incitement of insurrection. Obviously, we know what happened on January 6th when these pro-Trump supporting mob stormed the Capitol and everybody had to take cover. You know, it was just a crazy scene. This passed the House 232 to 197 with 10 Republicans voting against the president. Julia, tell us about, you know, everything that led up to this moment. It's been a crazy seven days in Washington and really across the country. You know, it's interesting. You know, the insurrection of the Capitol happened seven days ago. And then seven days from now, a week from now, President-elect Joe Biden will be sworn in as the 46th president of the United States. So a lot happening. But in leading up to impeachment, obviously what sparked this was the insurrection. We saw that President Trump held that rally in Washington, D.C., telling the attendees of his rally to go up to the Capitol to voice their displeasure with the election results. And many interpreted his remarks as incitement. And it did appear that he did incite this group of rioters to go to the Capitol. Now, obviously, there were thousands of people to attend President Trump's rally, which was to essentially protest the Electoral College results. And then we saw that, you know, some of those people, a large number of them, did storm the Capitol. When they stormed the Capitol, it was during the certification of the Electoral College vote. It had Senators Josh Hawley and Senator Ted Cruz essentially proposing to challenge the Electoral College results in states like Pennsylvania. So we saw that there was this essentially a lie going around that there was this widespread voter fraud in the 2020 election. 
So during the certification process, the protesters stormed the Capitol, putting the lives of the vice president of the United States at risk, of the Speaker of the House of the United States at risk, as well as lawmakers in the chamber at that moment. So we obviously know that five people were killed as a result of these riots. So it was a very deadly insurrection. Now we've heard, obviously, a lot of these rioters have been charged. They have been apprehended by law enforcement. But today was President Trump's term in the spotlight and he was impeached for the second time. It wasn't a surprise. We knew that Democrats would have the votes. But what's getting a lot of attention is the fact that Republicans voted to impeach him, including Congresswoman Liz Cheney, who is part of the GOP leadership in the House. Yeah, I mean, it's not a big number, but it's not an insignificant number either. And Liz Cheney, to that point, said there's never been a greater betrayal by a president of the United States of his office and his oath to the Constitution. So obviously, all that has transpired was a big turning point in all of this. What are the next steps now? Because obviously, impeachment happens in the House, the trial happens in the Senate. Mitch McConnell said he's not going to call senators back early. So they're not going to come into session until the 19th, the day before Joe Biden becomes president. So this won't achieve anything in ousting President Trump from office. So anything that happens will happen after that. I think the most significant thing that could happen is that they vote to bar him from running for federal office again. I think that's really the biggest thing that could come of it. That's correct. And I think that kind of almost could maybe relieve a lot of Republicans like Liz Cheney or even minority leader Kevin McCarthy with having to deal with Trump at the top of the ticket. However, while President Trump may not be running for office, he very well could still be a force within the Republican Party. Remember, he still has a band of loyal followers. 75,000 people or roughly that amount of people voted for him in the election. So he still is relatively influential in conservative circles. However, the timeline of all of this could prove to be a headache for President-elect Joe Biden. So President-elect Joe Biden once he is sworn in as president, is probably wanting to go in and really implement his agenda and get started on COVID relief issues. He is wanting to get those $2,000 stimulus checks out to Americans. He's going to want to do his 100-day plan of getting those vaccines out to Americans and asking them to wear a mask for 100 days and making sure schools can open safely. He's going to want to focus on that. And a lot of that includes coordination with the Democratic-controlled House and Senate. However, that's going to be an issue, or it could be an issue, if Democrats are still working to carry out this impeachment trial in the Senate. We know that there are Republicans who would be open to the idea of going through with an impeachment trial. We know that Ben Sass has said he would look over the articles of impeachment. Mitch McConnell, notably, has not ruled out voting to convict President Trump. You know, I think a lot of these Republicans would really like to rid President Trump of the party. But there's going to be a lot of multitasking going on. Julia Manchester, political reporter at The Hill. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. The governor boldly put out the goal to quickly, more quickly than we had before, get to a million more vaccines by this weekend. Joining us now is Dan Vergano, science reporter at BuzzFeed News. Thanks for joining us, Dan. Glad to be with you. Operation Warp Speed officials have changed course on their vaccine rollout plan. They want to broaden the amount of people that can get this right now. I know we're going through these kind of tiered phases and all, but they want to open it up to all people 
over the age of 65 and anyone that has high risk conditions such as diabetes, heart disease, obesity. And I think they also want to kind of just throw all the available doses out there. I know we were saving some for a second dose, you know, which is supposed to be taken about three weeks, four weeks apart. They just kind of want to open the floodgates right now. So Dan, tell us a little bit about the plan from Operation Warp Speed. So from Operation Warp Speed's viewpoint, what they have done is they've assured themselves that the manufacturers are producing enough vaccine on time so that if they do, instead of holding back a reserve shot for the second dose for everyone, they get a first shot too, that instead they can just sort of send out all the shots they got and be reassured that there will be a second shot around instead of hanging around for it. And this is an effort to increase the supply of shots out there for the people to get. What they're finding also is that they're not getting good reporting back on who's gotten a shot and when. The state's jurisdictions are supposed to reply within 72 hours. Yes, we gave somebody a shot. They're used to doing that in 30 days, and there's the sense that a lot of states aren't, which might explain the low rate of vaccinations overall. You know, they said they sent out about 29 million shots, and only about 9 million people have gotten one. So there's, you know, only about a third of people have gotten the shots they sent out. So there's some frustration there. So they're trying to use a stick, like, you know, don't report and you don't get any more vaccines. The allocation was just done by state population. Now the allocation is going to be done by over 65 population. This is an attempt to get more doses to more people who are at higher risk. There's also as well, sorry to give you the entire rundown, but also they promised that they're going to do more outreach to set up mass vaccination sites and health states with the vaccinations. It's a recognition that Operation Warp Speed, while it was making factories to make these vaccines before they proved out and sort of compressing the testing timeline, which, you know, although still you know using all the same safety measures, were still sort of compressed in terms of how they usually do it, that they did not actually assist the states in setting up places for people to get shots, where uh, it's clear that the states need more help than they can do by themselves. And so the feds are offering them some assistance. Right. And we're starting to see that in a lot of places in California, where I'm at, Dodger Stadium is being turned into a vaccination site. Disneyland is being turned into a vaccination site. So these big centers are going to start opening up. What has the Biden administration said about this plan? Because I know they had a similar plan where they wanted to get more people their first doses and just so we can start getting as many people vaccinated as possible. But I know that there's some concerns from them and they're coming into power next week. So things will change slightly, I'm assuming. What are some of the concerns from the Biden team? So Biden's team last week said that they supported the one part of Operation Warp Speed's change, which is to not hold back the second doses, but to send them out and figure that just in time, the manufacturing will be there to provide those second doses. What you're reading and hearing is that the Biden team is a little bit nervous about them suddenly throwing the gates open to everybody in the country. If you add up all the people in Group 1, this is the priority that the CDC's advisory committee set up for, which started with healthcare personnel and people in long care nursing homes. And now it's everybody over 65 and anybody who has a high-risk condition. That added like 109 million people to who already were eligible. So you're talking about 174 million people. That's half the country, right? So all of a sudden, the Biden Folks are walking in there with half the country expecting them to get them a dose tomorrow. And this is an add up. First, we aren't getting shots to the people who we do send the doses out for. And there ain't 174 million times two doses anyway. The manufacturers have promised to deliver something like 100 million each shots, you know, in the first quarter of the year. That's only enough for 100 million people. That's not 174 million people. So they're worried that Trump is sticking them with a promise that he doesn't have to deliver on and that they're going to be sort of stuck with. Although, of course, Biden's campaign pledge was 100 million shots in the first 100 days of his 
administration, which looked doable for the numbers that the manufacturers were promising, realizing that 100 million shots is just 50 million people vaccinated, right? Because you got their five number two. So, of course, they're looking this uh, gift horse in the mouth here that Trump has left them with, of course. How are we looking with regards to people's willingness to actually take the vaccine? Because we're talking about all these vaccines flooding the market, let's say, right? more available for people. But I am still hearing anecdotally, at least, a lot of people hesitant to take these vaccines. It's clear that there's some hesitancy. Typically, only about 80 percent of people in the healthcare profession get the flu shot, you know, who should know better. And here, you know, you do see these reports of different healthcare personnel refusing to take it. That's just part of the human tapestry. In polls, Something about two-thirds to more people say that they'd be willing to take a shot now. But that still leaves, you know, if the country's population is 30 million people, more than 100 million people who said they wouldn't get a shot. That's a lot of people, right? And that's a drag because we need to get what they call population immunity or sometimes herd immunity. The raw number, you know, just the naive estimate is at least 70%. They're about 67% of the population immunized. So we're starting to play with that if we have people who won't even get it. This is what we're going to see. We saw this with H1N1 in 2009. There's going to be people who refuse to take it. There's going to be people who want to take it, but, you know, are complacent and like, "Ah, I'm pretty healthy. I'll do it some other day. (laughs) Right, exactly. And, you know, this kind of hesitancy is just going to be, you know, along with waiting in line, you know, is going to be just part of our our experience for the next six to 12 months. Dan Vergano, science reporter at BuzzFeed News. Thank you very much for joining us. You bet. And so I want to apologize to you uh, because I need to preach and practice, not just preach and not practice. And I've done my best to do that. Uh, we're all human. We all fall short sometimes. Joining us now is David Siders, national political correspondent at Politico. Thanks for joining us, David. Hey, good to be here. I wanted to talk about California and uh, really the tough time that they're having right now on a lot of different fronts, especially their governor, Gavin Newsom. Obviously, we're seeing COVID numbers explode throughout the state in Southern California in particular. And uh, Gavin Newsom is getting some criticism for the slow vaccine rollout. There's actually a recall drive against him right now. David, tell us what's going on over there. I think that this is primarily related to coronavirus and how big an impact it's had, especially in Southern California, as you point out, hospitals here are significantly overburdened, whereas in some parts of the state up north, not so much. And so I think the combination of the increase in caseloads and some of the vaccine difficulties have created some pressure on the governor, which maybe is unusual in a state as democratic as California is. For some time, Governor Gavin Newsom has uh, had a pretty good approval rating. President Trump is in office. He had kind of a foil there. Things are going to be changing once Joe Biden comes onto the scene. And tell me a little bit about this recall effort that's going on. This has been going on for some time now. I think the people that are petitioning this have about one million signatures so far to put this on the ballot. They still need a lot more to go. But tell us how this is all playing out. Yeah. And let's start with what you said about the approval rating, first of all. You know, the last public measure of Newsom's approval rating in the state was 60 percent, which is really good. And most people think it's still in the 50s, still really good. So the threat that Newsom faces right now is a prospective threat. It's a potential. It's not a he's not yet off the edge or something. I don't want to overstate the case here. The recall is interesting because it has some money behind it. Governors in California get recall papers filed against them routinely. And the problem is you need a lot of signatures to do that. And 
need a lot of money to get those signatures. So the fact that this group of opponents of Newsom has, yeah, they raised $500,000 from a donor a week or two ago that's helped them to collect signatures. If they can raise some more money, there's a chance they get this thing on the ballot. And going back to what you said at the very beginning, a lot of this is about coronavirus and closures of businesses has been a huge thing. I, I live in California. I've mentioned on the podcast before, obviously, when the rule came down again that we had to shut down outdoor dining, people all over were just really angry with it. Restaurants again were closing. People's livelihoods were at stake again. People were losing jobs again. And to what I was seeing, kind of reinvigorated this recall drive, you know, just people not wanting to have businesses closed. And the criticism is there, right? Numbers are skyrocketing despite these closures. So I know that that was a a big turning point. I think it was something like this. He will take blame and has taken blame from all quarters. So there are people who are upset about business closures. There are people who are upset that the state, in their view, wasn't restrictive enough. And then you just have people who are simply frustrated and they're not sure exactly why. And that's not a good position to be in if you're an incumbent politician. So that's the difficulty that he faces. Now, the political reality is if this recall gets qualified, you're looking at an election many months down the road. So I, I think it's a likelihood that the electorate will be in a much different place in October or November than it is right now if Newsom can get the vaccine rollout turned around. What is the expectation that this recall drive will get enough signatures to be put on the ballot? The proponents put their chances at 80 to 85 percent, but that's the proponents. I think it largely depends on whether they can get a couple of big checks. If they can raise a couple million dollars, then, yeah, they probably can do it because all it really requires is money to send out those solicitations. The chances of success at the ballot box, if they actually get qualified, I think that's a much taller task. How has Governor Gavin Newsom and his team kind of addressed a lot of this criticism? Obviously, with the coronavirus, it's tough. You know, we're working our way through it. But some of this other criticism that he's been getting, how have they responded to all of this? Well, I think they're criticizing the Republicans who are opposing Newsom as being aligned with President Trump. And also there are complaints that anybody who's a target of a recall can make against people who are proposing recalls, which is that it's not respectful of a tradition where Some people think maybe you don't use the recall just because you're frustrated with somebody, that those should be used in extraordinary circumstances of misdeeds. I think there's also an effort by their camp not to add fuel to the fire, that they think if the governing work gets done, then these other things kind of resolve themselves and then pressure's reduced. Yeah, I mean, he did already go through quite a big blunder when, you know, he was urging people to stay home. And then, you know, he got caught at the French Laundry, a very high upscale restaurant. You know, we've heard this story a bunch now, but he's having had to have combat that, you know, a little bit of hypocrisy, people would say on that front too. So yeah, trying to lay low about some of those things is probably a good idea as well. The French Laundry was just a crazy bad mistake and and probably more so for being the French Laundry than for being out. I think if he'd gone down to the corner takeout restaurant, (laughs) there wouldn't be any of these recriminations. But the fact that it was at the French Laundry that, you know, I mean, just it looked really bad. And we'll see how that plays out. The last public poll to be done on his public approval was done when it was still in the field when that happened. So I'd be curious to see what the next public poll looks like. I can't imagine that we're talking like double-digit drops, though, because of that. And maybe I'm wrong, but that'll be a real key thing to look at. David Siders, national political correspondent at Politico. Thank you very much for joining us. Hey, thank you. (laughs) 
that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.